Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. So we are on a series at the moment, um, if those of you haven't noticed, um, but we haven't quite pushed it as a series, but it kind of is um, ongoing. And um, our scripture reference being from Matthew chapter 28, the, the Great Commission, uh, and where Jesus said this, he said, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Um, If you don't mind, just flipping a few pages back to Matthew chapter 7, because that's the context of this morning's service um, and this morning's preach. Now, a few weeks ago, Johann spoke to us ongoing. And uh, it was a sermon that was just filled with vision and mission and, and purpose. And um, we were, he, he looked into Scripture at six places where we were told to go. Um, to the t- Samaritan woman, he told her to just go. Um, he said that we are going to worship God in spirit and in truth, and he told her to go. To the official, he said, go in faith. To the adulterous woman, he said, go and sin no more. To the blind man, he said, go and wash your eyes. And uh, in the event of Lazarus being raised from the dead, he told them to unbind him and let him go. To the rich young ruler, he said, go and sell all your possessions. That's what was spoken about a few weeks ago. And the series that we're in, we're basically speaking into these six goings, um, if you like. So we're in a season where we are preparing ourselves to go. This week, Saturday, we're getting together to pray for the missions that God has purposed us. So it's preparing, preparing our lives, preparing our hearts, preparing spiritually Preparing our pockets because it is a sacrifice to go. And we will not offer anything to God that costs us nothing. And for some it will be missions. For others it would be outrages. For others it would be maybe just to speak to your neighbor or your work colleagues. Um, For some it would be serving in church. Whatever it is, but we are all called to go. God has called each one of us. Um, to go, and while I was preparing for this, I was just thinking about it this year on on some of our goings because we 've been having trips almost on a monthly basis um, of teams going out to alex and, and teams going to Edenvale hospital led by led by duan and we 've had guys go into Mozambique and people go into zimbabwe and we 've had teams go out as far as as India, and you might say, "Well, why go to India?" when we got people here in South Africa uh, that need help. Well, you need to go and read your Bible because Jesus told us from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's what he said. And we need to be obedient to this calling of the Great Commission. And I've got news for you as the church because next year our missions are going to increase tenfold. 
tenfold. We're not growing like corporates where they're happy with just a 10% increase in profits. We're going to increase by 10 times. And this requires everyone's input. It's not something that can just be done by the leadership team of this church. God has called us and has purposed us for mission. And are you on this mission with us? Are you ready? Are you prepared? And are you willing to make that sacrifice? And so as we look at one of those six things of going this morning, um, around the 1970s, according to surveys, the most popular quoted scripture in, in the Bible was by both Christians and by non-Christians, it was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then obviously that whole hippie era came in around the 70s. They say if you can't remember the 70s, you weren't there. But that whole thing happened. And the most recent surveys show us that the most popular scripture quoted by Christians today is still John 3.16. Anyone want to know what the most quoted scripture by non-Christians today is? It's this scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. And it's amazing. The world, how oh, they just, they always quote this. Some people, they, you know, they do some really bad things. They don't go to church. They don't read their Bibles. Um, their lives are just in a mess. And they say, they tell us, they say, the Bible says, don't judge. Yeah. What else does the Bible say? I don't know. <laughs> judge not that you also be not, be not judged. And, and Jesus said this. If you've got one of those Bibles, you'll see those words are in red letters. Jesus said that in the Bible. Judge not. Jesus said it, and I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it because I like to judge. It's one of my favorite pastimes, actually. But when things are, are wrong, I do make a judgment. I might not say it all the time, but I certainly think it. Um, another scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? And as I kind of went, and there's a lot of scripture on judgment, we'll go through some of them, it seems like there's a lot more about judging than about not judging, right? Matthew chapter 7 talks about not judging. And I think that there are two types of judging. Um, there's the one type, which is like the speculative type of judging, kind of making assumptions on things, and that's the judging that we're not supposed to do. And then there's the judging of pointing out what is right and what is wrong. It's called truth. And here the Bible actually calls us to actually make a judgment call and, 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 and be discerning on it. So let's just look at these two this morning. The first one is on this speculative judging where we are not supposed to do this. This is often where we come to a conclusion without knowing 
all of the facts. So sometimes we even know some of the facts, but we still come to a conclusion making certain assumptions. Um, and this is the kind of judging that the Bible warns us about. And we shouldn't jump to conclusions. So somebody does something or somebody acts in a specific way and we look at what they've done and we just make an assessment of what they've done and we judge them. We kind of make up the reason why they've been acting that way. Um, I read this recently, kind of a, like a meme type thing. It was called His Diary, Her Diary. And um, I'd like to just read it. Um, so this is her diary and at the end of the day what she wrote. Tonight, I thought my husband was acting weird. We made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was shopping with my friends all day long, so I thought he was upset at the fact that I was late. But he made no comment on it. The conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested that we go somewhere quieter so that we could talk. He agreed, but didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said that he wasn't upset and that it had nothing to do with me, that I was not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him I loved him. He smiled slightly, but just kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say I love you back. At home, I felt I'd lost him completely, as if he had nothing more to do with me. He just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed. But I still felt he was distracted, that his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm almost sure that his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. His diary, and at the end of the day, my motorcycle won't start today. Can't figure out why. The end. <laughs> don't jump to conclusions. You don't know anything. By the way, ladies, when your husbands, you know, if you ask them what they're thinking and they say nothing, they really mean nothing. I mean... I can go to the Val Dam, cast my line into the water. There'll be no bite. For the entire day, sit there and do absolutely nothing. That's men, ladies. So if they say nothing, it means nothing. Ladies also kind of have this as well, which is also quite interesting because sometimes you could ask them, um, uh, where, where are you going? Shopping? For what? Nothing. And women are so brilliant. I mean, they're just absolutely brilliant at doing this. They can go shopping for nothing and come back with a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, that's, that's the difference. And, but there's a point. Don't go making judgments on things you don't know why. You don't need to raise your hand. But how many people here today have been hurt by church people? People who've made unrighteous, unhealthy, ungodly judgments on you. We see this all the time. We call it prayer requests. Lord, please bless my friend whose name sounds like Anna, but with an H, who's living in 
sexual immorality. Everyone in the group goes, what? No, no, I said, sounds like, sounds like her. And often people say, give us the details. Give us so that we can pray, pray wisely. Have you ever heard that one? We, can, we need to know the specific, you know, as if the Holy Spirit doesn't know the details. We make judgments inside the church already. But then again, outside the world, in the world, we become judgmental without knowing all the facts. When someone's different to us, um, we make judgments against them. And this thing of, diversif- di- of, diver- of diversity, um, and specifically, I suppose, even in our country, um, on Friday I had the opportunity of speaking to the accountants in Nelspreet. There was a group of them there, uh, some of them in practice, some of them in business, some of them working in, in commerce and industry. And um, I, I gave them a number of, of things that I think we need to do as accountants to kind of sort of future-proof ourselves. And, and one of the things was around diversity and diversity intelligence. And I said, let's maybe look at diversity from a different angle than the way we usually do. Because so often, we look at diversity like a tick box. There's quotas that need to be made. You need to have so many males, so many females, so many young people, so many old people, so many of this color. And, so, and, and, we, and we kind of go through it like, like a checklist you know, of things. And if, we, if we're doing well with the demographics, we think we're doing well. And I recommended to them, I said, maybe let's just look at this thing from a different angle. Suppose there's a problem, and suppose we need to do something. And something's here, and we need a team to kind of do it. You know, on my own, I'd rather have four people that are like Brandon, just like Brandon, coming together to sort this problem out. But what if we looked at it from a different point of view, and I had somebody there like, like, like Marlies, or somebody there like Terry, or somebody there like Liesel, um, and myself looking at this. Some, a female with an Afrikaans background, um, an English guy, um, a lady from Eldorado Park, uh, someone like me coming together with different backgrounds, a different way of seeing things, and different way of viewing things, and we come together to solve this problem out. Surely that's a better way to sort out something than having someone that's exactly like me. And in that meeting on Friday, I made a comment, and I said this very boldly. I said, and this is why the Springboks will win tomorrow. You see, the challenge is trying to bring this group together because everyone's got a different value system. You know, like in America, do we build a wall or don't we build a wall? That's the hard part. But the moment everyone is brought together and you have a diverse way of thinking of things and sorting out problems, you're able to do a lot better. And I think that's, that's kind of what happened with our team yesterday. We've had a fantastic coach that brought a group of players. You've heard the interviews afterwards. Different groups of guys together. And because of that, they were able to do what they did. That English team was just filled with Englishmen. Okay, I know they've got one or two foreigners there, but I mean, really. And that is why with this diversity thing, we can do so much better and go so much further. So often we look at someone who's just different to us, and we pass judgment on it. 
Um, I remember Dudley Daniel once he preached a sermon on going to the nations as well. And he spoke about different cultures, and he said he remember hearing these guys going the one time, and they went to this culture group, but on, on their report back, they said this, these guys, they really smelt, you know. And uh, Dudley says this, he says, don't pass judgment on them. You probably smell to them. And we need to be so careful before we pass judgment on other people. And so that's the first one, where we're kind of drawing um, an assessment and making, drawing, you know, drawing conclusions about somebody else. The second one, which is where I want to spend a little bit more time on this morning, is pointing out what is right and what is wrong. In other words, the truth. And the Bible points out the truth. The Bible actually points out what is right and what is wrong. And this one we are unfortunately not very popular with. Um, we're not we, we aren't popular not because of the, of the truth, but we're unpopular, popular, I think, because of the way we bring it across. The Bible doesn't ask us to be nasty about it. In fact, if anything, it says to do it in love. And that's how we are supposed to do it. But the world looks at this, and, and usually the response is, but you're judging. You're judging us. And we make this discernment between right and wrong, and the world tells us, don't judge me. Don't judge me. In fact, what they're actually saying to us is, don't tell me what is right and what is wrong. Um, we're not supposed to be mean about it, but we still need to make a judgment call on this. So the world says this. The world tells us that there is no absolute truth. There is your truth and there is my truth. And I'm absolutely fine for you to have your truth but then you must be absolutely fine for me to have my truth. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is that it doesn't hold. What happens when there's a conflict between our truths? What if I say, well, I think to be able to kill someone is fine, and you say, well, no, it's actually not fine. Then that's your truth, but that's my truth. There's no basis. We're, not, we're actually not going back to Scripture on this, we, it's just our truth, and it's just what we believe in. So we need to be careful. We actually need to be outspoken that you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't commit adultery. Um, and people get so mad about this because they say, you're judging us. You're judging us. Matthew chapter 14, the story of John the Baptist who got into a lot of trouble because of speaking the truth. Um, Herod... Um, who was there at the time, he actually stole his brother's wife. His brother was Philip. Um, his wife's name was Herod Dias. And um, he stole his brother's wife, which you're not supposed to do. And now Herod Dias is living with him. That's wrong. You're not supposed to do that. And John makes it very well known that you shouldn't be doing this. And ultimately, John the Baptist gets arrested. Um, ultimately, actually, his head gets chopped off for this. Um, because of speaking the truth and pointing out that they shouldn't be doing that. So how are we supposed to respond to the world? Uh, do we just become like judgmental jerks? Um, or do we just let it go, like how Frozen tells us in such an annoying and repetitive way to do? We're supposed to be talking about that which is right and wrong. In the Old Testament... Time and time again, God had always pointed out that which is right 
and that which is wrong. Um, and for us or for his people to have a moral judgment. He told them, this is right, this is wrong. He said, separate yourselves from the people that are not morally like you. He said, make a judgment call. Don't be like them. Don't be like the people around you. In fact, there's a book in the Old Testament that is called Judges. It's not just a witty name. In fact, if you read the book of Judges, it's about judges. Doing what? Judging. What did the judges do? They came to the people of Israel who had embraced um, the garden again. You know what the garden was? The garden was, did God really say this? Did God really say that you can't do that? And so the nations around Israel were saying, well, did God really say you can't do that? And then they thought to themselves, hmm, that's a really good question. Did God really say that we can't do that? Let's do that. Sounds really good. Sounds fun, actually. And then they would do that. They would get themselves into mess. And then a judge would eventually come and say, he say, did God say that we must do that? And he said, no, God said that we should not do that. You are judged. You are condemned. Repent now and experience salvation. And then the people will, we shouldn't have done that. And then they would repent. And then all of a sudden, the nation of Israel will flourish again and they will do well. And what would happen? The judge would die. And the next morning, they wake up and say, hmm, did God really say that? And they would continue to do that, they go down again, and God would send another judge. It's not just the pattern of this nation. This is my week. I'm here on a Sunday morning, praising God, listening to His Word, praying. On Monday morning, I'm going, did God really say that? It's not just me, eh? I've got to go back to Scripture. i got to pray. I've got to keep so focused on this People don't want to feel bad about anything anymore. It's amazing how you've got to be so politically correct in, in what you say. Um, the world actually believes it's a right that you shouldn't make us feel bad. Um, when they have lecturers coming to speak at students at university and they don't really want to hear this guy talk because he speaks the truth, they protest about it, um, these, young, these young people, the millennials. You know, the millennials are saying, well, we know what the Bible says, but who cares about what the Bible says? That's the young people today, these millennials. I don't know if they even know how to spell millennials. <laughs> but that's their goal, not to make people feel bad. Now, ever since I was little, it's a strange concept, but if you do something bad, you're meant to feel bad. When we were in Sunday school, we used to sing the song, Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. And that, that song used to freak me out. Me and I always talk about that song when we were young. It's like, jeez, man, we've got to be careful here. You know, it's like you do something wrong. You like just see something wrong. And this is guilt over us. And people have moved away from that. We've forg completely forgotten about it. And unfortunately, churches have also got stuck into these blurred lines as well. The church doesn't want people to feel guilty or feel shame for their sin anymore. Because the church is thinking, if we, if we become a little bit more palatable, then the world 
will like us. The goal is not for the world to like us. In fact, Jesus said, the world will hate you. You see, what attracts people is not lower standards. What attracts people is the truth. That's what attracts people to Christianity, not not compromising our standards. Again, you don't need to be mean and nasty about it, but we have to have the truth, and that is the difference. We don't want to talk about the truth because we don't want people to feel the guilt and to feel shame anymore. Jesus said that we are to go out into the world and make disciples, disciples being disciplined followers. And if we stray away from the truth and lose our discipline, how can we be disciplined followers? You know, there's a good analogy. I thought about this um, as I was coming back, driving back on, on Friday. And um, it's, a little, it's a little bit like a mirror. You see, when I woke up this morning, and if a mirror made me look bad, you know, I'm not going to go and throw away the mirror. Right, that would be a really, really dumb thing to do. The mirror is actually your friend. Now, we have some really, really good-looking people in our church. Just as I look around, I can, I can see this. I think certainly we've got some really good-looking boys and some really, really-looking girls here in our church. Um, I think we've got some of the, the best-looking elders' wives of all the churches by a long shot. I, and I really do think that. I'm not, I'm not just saying this. I think it's true. Um, but, but we do. And as you look around, there's some really, really good-looking ladies around. You see these beautiful faces? They didn't wake up looking like this. <laughs> you would be shocked. In fact, I think some of them are shocked. When they wake up. So, so they've got to do some things. They've got to, they've got to do some things in the morning. They've got to put on their face. Ladies are born without a face. And, and, and they've got to do some stuff. And they look in the mirror and they do all the stuff. And when they're done, we all say, thank God. <laughs> but, but you see, a mirror is not your enemy. A mirror tells you the truth. If you've got egg on your face... And you look into the mirror. The mirror is not going to hide the egg. The mirror is going to show you that there's egg on your face. So that you can actually do something about it. You can go take the egg out. It's pointless. It's unhelpful being in a group of friends and you've got egg on your face and you're having this long conversation. And nobody tells you, hey, there's egg on your face. That's unhelpful. Truth is able or is designed to help us adjust. The mirror of truth is not to condemn people. It's there to help you to fix it. And we need to adjust our lives to that truth. We're not supposed to be hating people. In fact, Romans 8 verse 1 tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, condemnation tells us that you're wrong, that you're bad, that you're doomed, and that there's nothing that you can do about it. It's too bad. You're sentenced to death. There's no more appeals left. It's done. You're done. You're a condemned man. You're a condemned woman. You're on death row. It's the end. But there is no condemnation. There is forgiveness. In fact, Isaiah 1.18 tells us, Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Matthew 7, which is what we read this morning. And I think there's a lot of clues into judging in this chapter. And I want to just maybe quickly actually use this illustration. Johan, you mind coming up for a second, please? So Matthew 7 verse 4 says this, How can you say to, brother, to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your eye? You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will, clear, be, you will clearly see the speck to be able to take it out of your brother's eye. Now, this must have been quite hilarious when Jesus spoke about this. Here's a plank. Here's a plank in my eye. And then I look at Johan. And I say, Johan, there's a speck there, bro. I can see a speck in your eye. Let me, let me take that out. Wait, come here. Come here, let me just take that out. Let me t- okay, let me just do, let me, let me do this. Let me, let me take it out of your eye. Here's it. The Bible says we must take the plank out of our own eye. And it doesn't say, and it's, it doesn't stop there. It says once you take it, I can't even see you now. Once you take it out of your eye, then you can actually see the speck. Jesus was a carpenter, so he knew about this. And then you can actually take it out of your brother's eye. Take the log out. How do we do that? In pursuit of holiness and seeking after righteousness and seeking Jesus. It came up today in prayer meeting. We keep looking to Jesus. We keep asking Jesus for forgiveness. That's the other thing about your truth and my truth. See, the problem with that is how do you ask for forgiveness if your truth says you actually haven't done anything wrong? I mean, that, it's like so unhelpful. But take, it, take, take the log out of your eye, and then you'll be able to see what is in your brother's eye. Jesus was coming to people and saying, I don't condemn you. In John chapter 8, verses 3 to 11, is the account of the adulterous woman, which was caught in the act of adultery. That's what the Bible tells us, in the act. She was in the middle of the act, and they pulled her out and brought her there. I don't know why they didn't bring the man, but they brought her there. So you can imagine, she's there, there's no, she's got no clothes on, it's humiliating for her. And all of these Pharisees and these teachers pick up the stones about to stone her. And they ask Jesus. They say, well, according to Moses' law, we're supposed to stone her to death. She's been caught in the act of adultery. And, um, and Jesus bends down. He writes with his finger in the sand. always wondered why he wrote with his finger in the sand. But I'll tell you why in a minute. And they wanted to know from him, well, what, what do we do here? And as you all know, Jesus told them, if any one of you is without sin, 
you can cast the first stone. And just one by one, they dropped the stones. They went, Jesus continued writing on the sand. And he looks up at her, and he tells her, where's everyone? And um, he tells her that I don't condemn you as well. Now go and sin no more. You see, since Adam and since the Garden of Eden, sin had entered the world through one man. Um, it was amazing. Early this year, we were able to go. Um, we had the opportunity to go to the Sistine Chapel um, at the Vatican. And in the Sistine Chapel, we, we'd been there before, but it was like a very rushed thing. But this time when we went, there was a bench um, and we were able to sit down. I remember initially my family sat. There was no place. I sat on the floor. And uh, one of the security guards came on me, and he's like, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. It's, it's impossible. Sorry, that doesn't sound Italian. That sounds a bit more French. Okay, so they said it's impossible. Well, I said it is possible. I'm so, you know, I didn't say that. I just stood up and uh, waited for a gap, and somebody left, and I sat down. And this time, we had about half an hour, and I looked up at this really, really incredible work of art by Michelangelo. And um, in the middle, there's a picture of um, creation, and kind of as you go to look toward the back is the judgment, and people getting thrown into the fire. And then right at the back, there's a picture of, um, of it, they told us it was actually Bartholomew, um, one of Jesus' disciples, who actually was skinned to death. Um, and there's a, there's a picture there of the skin um, of Bartholomew. And on the face of Bartholomew, is actually Michelangelo's face, which is quite interesting. I don't know why he would have did that, but, uh, but he did. But in the middle is a very iconic picture of creation, and it's of God up in the heavens and Adam on the earth, and their fingers are just like this. You've seen it? So everyone knows it. It's quite iconic. And it's kind of a, like a aggravating picture because there's like just, just a few inches between, between the two of them. And ever since the Garden of Eden, because of sin, we have been separated from God. And Jesus came to earth and he was able to reconcile us back to God at the new covenant. And even though we were sinners and even though we have a sinful nature, that there is forgiveness, that there is mercy, that there is grace in Christ. In the Old Testament, the law was given to Moses. It was the Old Covenant. And it was written by God's finger on stone tablets. It was hard. That's the stone. The, the law was hard. It was tough. We couldn't, it was impossible almost to kind of, to do what was on there. It, it brought serious judgments over us. And in the New Testament, we have the New Covenant where God, again, with his finger, writes on the ground this time, not on stone. The ground is soft. It's easier to kind of write in. And that's the new covenant where it gives us hope, gives us peace. Again, God's grace over us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. And also in this case, I think I do need to mention to this because... The, the guys, the Pharisees that were there made a judgment on this woman and it probably was a right judgment because they quoted scripture. 
right? They quoted Moses and, and the law, and they said this is what it should do. How many times have you seen people quote Scripture out of context just to bring judgment on somebody else? And we need to be careful. We need to be careful how we read Scripture, and we need to be careful how we interpret Scripture. Um, about a year or two ago, I did a preach on the use and abuse of Scripture, and through the years, how people have abused God's Word. And we need to be careful not to use God's Word to push judgment on other people. And I think, in a good way, churches have become good about this, in not being too judgmental. But we forgot about the other part now, about going and sinning no more. That's the part we don't talk about. We need to speak the truth in love, because that is what draws people to God. As I wrap up, there's just three things as I finish off. Number one, we must not judge blindly. The speck in our eyes, the log that is in our eyes, we need to remove it. We need to accept actually that we are blind and that we do need to remove it so that we can actually see clearly. Um, John 7 verse 24, also in that chapter, it says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. You see, we still need to do this discernment between what's right and wrong. And as I said as well, don't quote Scripture just to suit your purposes. Understand what God is saying. Number two, judge in the same way that you will want to be judged. Because in, in chapter 7, verse 2, it says, In the same way you judge others, so too will you be judged. And I think it's good that we have standards and that we hold high standards and we hold others to high standards and make them accountable. But we need to have those standards for our lives as well. And in going out, it's very difficult to actually preach somebody to somebody else if you yourself are not adhering to what you're preaching. Sing about um, practice what you preach. We need to do that. Don't have double standards. And I think because we will be judged on the way we judge, maybe this is why we should also extend grace to those who aren't like us. Uh, to those who probably do not deserve the grace, we should extend grace to them as well. Because in that same way, we will also be judged. Uh, be careful. I think um, on, on, on Friday as I was talking to everyone, one of the things I did bring up was the whole ethics thing with accountants. And, 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 and the big thing, obviously, at the moment is around government and the corruption and how just bad everything is. You ever thought that a bribe requires two parties to it? It requires a receiver, but it also requires a giver. And corporate South Africa go and have a look. Steinhoff, KPMG, um, Tongats, Hewlett's, all of them have been in the media recently for the wrong reasons. We can't just hold government to one standard and expect the private sector just to get a get-out-of-free jail card. Uh, we need to hold everyone to the, to the same standards. And thirdly, we must not judge as if we are God. You see, God is a trustworthy judge, and He will judge rightly, and it will be made right. Some of you sitting here have been done wrong and have been done in many times in your lives. Um, trust God to make the right judgment. The Bible tells us that vengeance is His, and He is the one that will bring ultimate judgment and justice. 
because he sees everything. He's the all-seeing, all-knowing God. And we need to trust him. He is not blind. And we do not need to judge the earth. Let's leave him to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that we could be here in your presence. Thank you for your word, Lord, that you've not left us just to figure out things ourselves. Thank you that we can always go back and that you, you always guide us and that you always lead us through your Holy Spirit and, and through your word, Lord. And even as we've looked at this and in the season that we are in, Lord, of going and of equipping and um, just preparing our hearts and our lives, Lord. Help us to make the right judgment calls in our lives. Give us discernment, Lord. Help us to say the things that we need to say and, and when we need to say it. Also help us to keep quiet, Lord, when we, when we do need to keep quiet. But through it all, Lord, I pray that you help us. Help us to be a loving people. Help us, Lord, to be the lights to this world and the salt of the earth that you've called us to be as we further advance your kingdom in partnership with you, Lord Jesus. Bless us, anoint us, and go before us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.